Well, we are going to have a message now, a sermon on the attributes of God. And so for those of you taking notes, the message is called God is Great and God is Perfect. Seems like obvious truths, but they're worth unpacking. Sometimes it's the most obvious truths that we take for granted and grow dull to. The late J.I. Packer wrote a wonderful book called Knowing God. The, the men who've been part of the Q course uh, labored through that the last two months. And in that book, Dr. J.I. Packer wrote, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. End quote. Think about that. Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. And so this morning, what we're going to see is what we just said, the greatness and perfection of God. And as we grow in our understanding of that, that will bring in a a calmness and assurance and a peace to our lives when rightly understood and rightly meditated on. So our first point this morning is God is great. Before looking at all the passages that we're going to look at, We need to kind of understand what we even mean by this word greatness. In the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, we read about God as great, the greatness of God, ascribe greatness to him. Um, And so the word in the Hebrew is this interesting word called gadol. And it relates, as it relates to persons, it carries the sense of a person who is remarkable in degree. A person of immense importance, of high status. When you go to the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, it defines greatness as it relates to a person this way. Chief of vast power and excellence, supreme, illustrious, and then it says, as the great God, the great creator. Put together those two definitions, and what we begin to see is that When we say God is great, what we're really saying is that God alone is great because God alone is of the highest importance, value, power, authority, goodness, and beauty. Think about that. God and God alone is of the highest importance, highest value, highest power, highest authority, highest goodness, and highest beauty. So there is a real sense, and when we talk about God being great, his greatness is something that is not shared. We throw that word around all the time, the great, the word great. A lot of debate. Who's the greatest, Jordan or Kobe or LeBron? Which year of the Bulls was the greatest? That movie was really great. Have a great day. When we talk about people especially, we need to train ourselves to not use the word, I think, because greatness is a word that should only be reserved for God. Because when we use that word great to talk of people, we actually are diminishing how we understand the greatness of who God is. Because God and God alone 
is great. So let's look at, give me more detailed notes today. We're going to look at a couple subpoints under God is great. Subpoint number one, creation proclaims the greatness of God. Psalm 8, verse 1 and verse 3. Psalm 8, verse 1 and verse 3. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Then verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. God's greatness is being captured with those words majestic, with glory. Then he says, he, he focuses us out in verse 3. To, to fix our gaze upward, to look at the moon and the stars. Almost to remind us, he's bigger than all of that. He's greater than all of that. He's more powerful than all of that. He is authoritatively over it all. He is sovereignly sustaining it all. Why? Because he is God and he is great. When we see that greatness in creation, it is glorious and it is majestic. I feel bad for people who can lay on their lawn on a clear night, look up at the stars, feel that kind of immensity of it all. Think, what a beautiful accident. That's a sad way to live. No, God is great. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent a tent for the sun. You may not think about it, but the heavens like to preach. Day, look at that. The heavens declare the glory of God. When you look up in the daytime and see that blue sky and the clouds and the sun shining, or in that overcast day and the clouds filled with rain, or the lightning cracking across the sky, or you look into a telescope and you see stars and planets or a shooting star, that are, that's the heavens preaching. So we should not forget to look up to see the greatness of God. It's interesting, creation doesn't just preach on Sunday morning. Day to day pours out speech. Creation is constantly 24-7 preaching. Creation can't do anything but preach the excellencies of God, the greatness of God. 
the chief importance of God. Creation likes to show off, right? Something amazing happens. You see a shooting star. It's like, you think that's great? Think about the God who just had me fall from the heavens to be that shooting star. Romans chapter 1. It's an interesting chapter. It's a, it's a, Paul really brings an indictment against man and his sin. And in the midst of Paul talking about this, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, we read, For his, speaking of God, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Paul lets us know from the very beginning when God made everything, he publicly has made himself known, his greatness known. Nobody's going to be able to stand before God on the day of judgment and be like, I didn't realize God was that big of a deal. I didn't really, he was that great. No. You are surrounded by his greatness. Nobody can claim ignorance to the greatness of God. They've been clearly perceived. Paul says, clearly. Let me ask you, church. Do you, do I... When we go, especially now, right? Weather's nice. Do you ever just stop and look out and not just think that's a beautiful day, but wow, God is great. Think about waves. Think about those giant waves. The power. I remember I've mentioned before, we went through a hurricane in Florida and I saw the the waves just snapping concrete that was thicker than I could ever imagine, like it was nothing. I was like, wow, look at the, the power of the water. That was God's power. That was the greatness of God. And as you look at creation and as you see the greatness of God, I think what we have to remember in the back of our minds is we ain't seen nothing yet. It's in Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verses 6 through 8. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Creation, the heavens, all of this is aimed at what? It is God has given us those things to say, look at this and fear me, worship me, understand the greatness of who I am. That's the kindness of God. Imagine God didn't give us that. And then he returns and we see his greatness then, but we never had any indication prior to. That'd be a little cruel. Well, if I would have known you were that great, God, I would have changed the way I lived. Someone says, if God would anticipate that and say, I've surrounded you with my greatness here without excuse. Fear me and worship me. 
So creation proclaims his greatness. But the Bible proclaims his greatness as well. That's our second subpoint. The Bible proclaims God's greatness. Psalm 95, verse 3. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all the gods. Again, it's interesting the way God has given us his word. He could have just said, the Lord is God. That should have been enough, but he goes and says, the Lord is a great God. He's unlike anything you can imagine, anything you conceive. His greatness defies human comprehension. He is the great God. The greatness of God doesn't leave you somewhat baffled. He's probably created a God according to your imagination. What does it mean that God is so great that he could scoop up the waters in his hands? There's more universes than we know, and yet God stands over and above all of them and created them and sustained them. If that doesn't begin to bend your brain as to how great God is, You're brain dead. I don't know how else to say it. Like, that's amazing. Daniel chapter 9, verse 4. Daniel 9, 4. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Here's another, another one of those words, awesome. If you go further back in history, it would be this, the awfulness of God. It's talking about this reverential fear and grandeur and greatness of who he is. But we've so watered down language that we use awesome for everything. That was an awesome home run. There's words that we have that should be reserved for God alone. These sacred words. But man wanting to bring God down to his own image likes to call men great, likes to call men and the things men do awesome. And in so doing, they water down their understanding of God. But here we see Daniel's prayer for his people. And how does he address God? The great and awesome God. When was the last time in prayer you opened up prayer and you said, Father, you are great and you are awesome. I fear that I've become too casual that I don't address God by his greatness sometimes. But he is great. He is of chief importance above all. Psalm 104. Verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Interesting here. God is wrapped in splendor. God is wrapped in majesty. That's not his Monday morning attire. That is what God wears every minute of every day. God is glorious. 
He is full of splendor. Why? Because he is great. God can no more take off his garments of greatness than a human can take off their skin. Psalm 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Think about that, church. His greatness is unsearchable. No matter how hard we try, you and I will never be able to fully measure, fully comprehend, fully describe the utter greatness of God. We have a better chance of discovering and exploring every universe in existence than being able to fully grasp the greatness of God. But that's what makes it so exciting. You are in a lifelong and then eternal long adventure. You go deeper and deeper and wider and wider into the greatness of who God is. I was having a conversation just uh, the other day with, at, on Wednesday night with uh, Ron. We were talking about the human cell. And our science still doesn't even understand why a cell actually comes to life. We know a lot about the cell, but why doesn't a cell actually just begin living? We can't understand that, and we think we're going to wrap our minds around the greatness of God. And how great is God that he can just give life to a cell, let alone a world full of people and creations? Psalm 86, verse 10. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. The works of God, we are told, are wonderful, wondrous, because they proclaim his greatness. Just yesterday, I was doing yard work and spraying some weed killer, and I saw this colony of ants. Structured, disciplined, organized, on a mission. I was blown away by ants. God made those ants. God created them that they know what to do. If I'm so blown away by ants, how much more should I be of the greatness of who God is? And that's just ants. Think about all the other wondrous things God has done. Psalm, Psalm 95.3. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all the gods. We looked at that one earlier. But I want to go back to that because when we talk about God being great, think about this. He says here, a great king above all gods. There are no great kings in this world. They think they're so amazing. They think they're so great. They're all historically going to die. They've all, Caesar thought he was great. Yes, most college students today, who's Caesar? They think it's a salad. They don't know who he is. Men who fancy themselves to be great kings, great rulers, great authorities, quickly find out to the dust they shall return. But God is great and stands above all, and he will always stand above all because he is the eternal God. It would do well for all those people who fancy themselves so great to take a look at their creator and submit under his greatness. 
First Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. All greatness belongs to God. All power, all glory, all victory, all majesty. It's his because he is great. He has no rivals for his greatness. We get so caught up in worshiping God for the gift of salvation, and we should. We should never stop praising and worshiping God for for saving us. But he's more than a savior. He's a king. He's a creator. And so we should worship him for the greatness of salvation, but we should worship him for the greatness of his kingship, of his rule, of his power, of his majesty. Paul Washer once said, quote, there are no great men or women of God in the scriptures or in church history. There are only weak, sinful, and faithless men and women of a great and merciful God. End quote. Church, again, when it comes to greatness, he has no rivals. He has no peers. And so we are to marvel at his greatness. We are to have humility and recognize how small and frail we are compared to the greatness of God. And it's only when we begin to have that humility and understand who we really are before this greatness of God that we can really begin to appreciate how a great God has chosen to bestow his love upon us through faith in his son. Here's four passages of application and how we, how we should respond to the greatness of God. The first comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 3. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. How do you live in light of the greatness of God? First and foremost, you ascribe it to him and to him alone. Quit giving greatness to anything that's not God. Appreciate things. See them as good, but give greatness to God and God alone. Secondly, we respond by praising God for his greatness. First Chronicles 16, verse 25. First Chronicles 16, 25. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, for he is to be feared above all gods. Praise him for his greatness. We were created to worship. We were created to praise. We were created to marvel at the greatness of God. And this is something we grow into. I understand 
I, mean, I think back when I first came into the faith, I was bowled over by the fact that a sinner could become a son, that God could become a man, that he would save me, that he would love me, that he would adopt me. And then Dr. John Piper said in one of his books, do you make much of God because he makes much of you, or do you make much of God because God makes much of God? Whoa, huge paradigm shift there. What are you talking about, Dr. Piper? The gospel was my entry point into relationship with God. It is the fuel by which I continue to stay in fellowship with God, but it also opens my eyes to the greatness and grandeur of God. And I begin to worship him, not simply for saving me, but I begin to worship God because he's God and he's great and worthy to be praised. Psalm 111, verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. You respond to the greatness of God by delighting in it and studying it. Become a student of God's greatness. Don't simply study the Bible to live a more Christian life. Man, I really wish there was less anxiety in my life. I'm going to do a study on anxiety. I'm not saying that's bad. But so often, we come to the Word of God simply as if it's the cure-all for whatever we're feeling. Chiefly, give yourself to the study of the Word of God so that you can bow before the greatness of God. Which goes back to our quote all the way at the beginning by Dr. J.I. Packer, once you become aware that the main business of your life, uh, the main business that you're here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Maybe you'd have less anxiety if you focus more on God's greatness. Take your eye off your circumstances. Put your eyes on your God. Read the Bible to chiefly know God. Read the Bible to love God because he is great and worthy to be praised. Psalm 138, verse 5. We're not a very vocal church, but if Ram belts out an amen here, I'll, I'll forgive him for it. Here it goes. <laughs> and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. We should be singing of his greatness. This is the problem with so much contemporary worship music. You're singing about yourself. He loves me. He died for me. I'm not saying that's a prayer. But sing robust songs that are singing about who God is and his greatness. Sing loudly. Sing joyfully. Sing often. I love that when we've gone to the D'Souza's house for dinner, we know we're not leaving the house until we sing at least a couple hymns. <laughs> Why? Because as great as that night was, the night's incomplete if we don't end it by focusing on God. Why? Because he's great. So I hope we sing a little louder this morning when we close out. I don't think we're going to get to God is perfect. I had that little thing I needed to share earlier. Let me close with this. 
Let me say this about God's greatness. Isn't it amazing that as great as God is, he chose to become a man? He chose to clothe himself in the humility of the flesh. That he condescended, he made himself known to us. And that he displays the greatness of his character and its fullness when he goes to the cross for the joy that was set before him. That in his greatness, he takes the form of a servant. That in his greatness, he redeems those who willfully turn away from wanting to see his greatness. The greatness of God becomes crystal clear to us in the face of Jesus Christ. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The great and mighty God that we should all be falling on our face before comes to save us and restore us so we can do that. God has saved you through the shed blood of his son and his resurrection so that you can delight in his greatness. Do you find the world unsatisfying? You just keep trying to find that next thing that's going to really satisfy. I can tell you right now, nothing satisfies like fixing your heart on the greatness of God. Nothing. We're not going to get to God as perfect, but I do want to share this. He, in some ways, his perfection, it speaks for itself. Not only is God great, but because he's great, he's also perfect. And you can't be. You are not a great person. You are not a perfect person. You never will be a great person. You will never be a perfect person. But instead, you have the opportunity here even this morning to trust in the perfect and the great and perfect God who sent his great and perfect son to be a great and perfect savior so that you can receive a great and perfect forgiveness by which you will receive a great and perfect love which you will then spend in all eternity thanking and worshiping for. Let us respond rightly. First and foremost, by repentance. Secondly, by placing faith in Christ. Third, by worshiping. Fourth, by obedience. Fifth, by proclamation. Sixth, by an ongoing trust. Let us respond rightly to the greatness and perfection of God. When these two attributes are understood, our lives become marked with joy and our lives become marked with assurance. God does not change. He is immutable, so he will always be great. He will always be perfect. And if he perfect in his perfection, he perfectly saved you. In his perfection, he perfectly will sanctify you. In his perfection, he will perfectly say, uh, glorify you. And as he perfectly does those things, his greatness takes center stage. So turn to the great and perfect God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I close with one final quote from Dr. Packer. Quote, Knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. As it would be cruel to an Amazonian tribesman to fly him to London, to put him without explanation in Trafalgar Square and leave him, as one who knew nothing of English or of England to fend for himself, so we are cruel to ourselves 
If we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it, the world becomes a strange, mad, painful place and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through the life blindfolded as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. Let us give ourselves to knowing our great and perfect God through our faith in Jesus Christ and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, which helps us understand his perfect and great word. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ, by the power of your spirit. And all we can say, Lord, is you are great. You are great. You are great. You are perfect in every way. You are perfect in your being. You are perfect in your will. You are perfect in your works. You show your perfection in your word. We are surrounded by your greatness. We are surrounded by your perfection. Help us, Lord, not walk around as blind men, but help us live with eyes wide open, eyes full of wonder and awe of the greatness that surrounds, the perfection that proclaims, and that all of this is made available to us by Christ and Christ alone. For you, Lord Jesus said, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through you. So we thank you that it is through faith in you, Jesus, and what you've done through your perfect life, your substitutionary death and glorious resurrection, that our eyes have been opened to your greatness and your perfection. I pray that here and now, those in this room, Lord, who are hearing your word proclaimed, who are currently not followers of Christ, maybe believers, that you would grab hold of their hearts, that you would give them a new heart, that you would bring regeneration, that you would open their eyes to your glory and your perfection, that they would trust in you, Jesus, follow you, and worship you all the days of their lives. We pray this in the marvelous name of Jesus. Amen.